Just the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. Over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed. The History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, dress listeners, as I'm sure you know, the Met Gala returned after a two-year COVID-related hiatus, and you know that we just had to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) How can we not? It would be like this glaring omission. I know. I actually want to apologize to Cynthia from Red Threaded and our dress listeners who I promised this would be our corset episode, but we pushed that a couple weeks because we just had to talk about the Met Gala. At the end of Tuesday's episode, we posed a very relevant question after establishing just how hard American fashion designers worked over the 20th century to establish American fashion's own reputation as a separate, albeit complementary, entity next to European designers. And the question we posed was this. With the theme of this year's highly anticipated Met Gala being quote-unquote American independence in line with the Met's newly opened exhibition in America, a lexicon of fashion, why did so many of the world's most famous celebrities choose to wear European rather than American designers? Clearly, we have a lot to say about this. (laughs) And of course, we have a lot of favorite looks and also fashion history references to discuss as well. But First, let's talk a little bit about the exhibit itself. This is just the first part of a two-part exhibition built around the idea of a patchwork quilt, which serves as, quote, a metaphor for the United States and its varied cultural identities. So the exhibition itself prides itself on this, quote-unquote, quilt of talent that makes up the American fashion industry. And it's not a reflection on one specific ideal or aesthetic, but a rainbow of talent as a reflection of the melting pot that is this country. And the exhibition's website tells us that there are, quote, approximately 100 men's and women's ensembles by a diverse range of designers from the 1940s to the present. Those are all featured, enclosed in scrimmed cases that represent three-dimensional patches, quote-unquote, of a quilt. They are organized into 12 sections that explore defining emotional qualities, nostalgia, belonging, delight, joy, wonder, affinity, confidence, strength, desire, assurance, comfort, and consciousness. And dress listeners, please be assured that there we will be talking more about the exhibition itself in the future on dress. But for right now, in this episode, what we're really going to focus on is the 2021 gala itself, not necessarily the exhibition. And also, we want to mention that if you're curious about the history of the Met Gala, we've already done an episode on it. So you can head back and check out our past fashion history mystery number three. 13, which is entitled Party of the Year, the Met Gala, for more information on its history. So as Cass has already mentioned, the 2021 Met Gala, the theme was American independence, which this seems like a very straightforward and simple theme, right? But I guess maybe it was deceptively simple, given the fact that the vast majority of celebrities on the red carpet did not seem to understand the assignment 
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> Initially, personally, I had some concerns about the theme. I mean, I was really wondering if there were going to be these American nationalist tropes that we're going to see literally embodied on the red carpet. And there were not as many of those as one might think. So that was a little bit of a relief, at least. Yeah, because, you know, American independence in itself is a little bit of a disappointing trope. If you're going to talk about the spectrum of American fashion, there were a few literal interpretations on the red carpet, which we can talk about. Of course, Debbie Harry, I think, is the most obvious one. She showed up as maybe a literal flag Mm -hmm. (laughs) just outfit designed by Zach Post. And she had a a denim jacket, and then a red and white striped, like, hoop skirt, essentially. Yeah, and it was um, it was almost like a, a underwire structure, cage crinoline style, um, that was then wrapped in sheer ribbons, I guess, kind of type thing, that had been printed like the flag. It was a little much for me, but I, I do have to say, um, our, our dear friend and past-dressed guest, Risa Britannia, that was actually one of her favorite ensembles. And just please know that every year, Risa does this really fun thing on her Instagram, which is Met Gala Bingo. And whatever the theme is, she makes like a fictionalized bingo card in terms of like what she suspects people might show up wearing in terms of categories, which are hilarious. And so um, stay tuned for 2022 when she does this again. And actually, I think if they do another mini Met Gala for this part two, she's going to do another one. It was very fun. But um, American flag was definitely one of the categories on her bingo card this year. Yeah. Um, and Amanda Gorman, who, of course, is one of the chairs of the Met Gala and the youngest inaugural poet in the history of the United States, she came dressed as a version of perhaps the Statue of Liberty. She wore Vera Wang. The dress was okay. Um, she was a vision. She had beautiful, you know, her hair was amazing. She had this beautiful, like, silver sparkles splattered across her face. But I th- what I thought was really special about her the meaning behind what she did is she's carrying this purse that's meant to be a book that says, bring me your poor. And of course, that is a quote directly off of the Statue of Liberty. So a lot of metaphors, um, well, maybe not a lot of metaphors on the red carpet, but she definitely was trying to embody, you know, the hope and promise of the future of America. Yeah, for sure. And um, she actually told Vogue, she said, um, it was important for me to hold a book much like the statue with a line from the poem at the base of Lady Liberty, as well as a laurel crown to symbolize my experience as a laureate. And yes, Cass, you mentioned her amazing makeup. So she had rhinestones going across the eye area and her cheekbones of her face. And apparently it took a makeup team of five people more than an hour to do this. And the, the kind of aesthetic that she was going for there was that it was almost like a flag floating in the breeze. So she was trying to create that effect in terms of her make. Yeah. So that was, that was I, I thought, a special rendition of a literal take on the American theme. <laughs> uh, Hamish Bowles, always delightful, came in a Tom Brown. I think, was that a headpiece or a hairpiece that was on like the crown of the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> it, it was almost like a, it was like a um, headband kind of type thing. Oh, okay. I couldn't tell if that was his hair or not. He's always delightful and fun and his shoes had, you know, red, white, and blue ribbons on them. So he was probably one of the more literal interpretations, as was New York Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, who was basically in the suffragette colors with equal rights for women emblazoned across her ensemble, which 
didn't quite do it for me. Well, (laughs) I think the I think the issue there is that it was much more costume like or fancy dress like than it was fashion. So yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely fancy dress. So those are our examples of the literal interpretations. There really were not that many, thank goodness. Um, And maybe let's start by focusing, April, on what we liked about people who were, quote unquote, on theme, wearing American designers or brands located in America. I thought there were so, so many fabulous takes on this. Yes. Obviously, we mentioned Zach Posen in the context of Debbie Harry's ensemble. He also dressed Paloma Elsesser, the model. And apparently she commissioned her gown from him just two weeks before the Met Gala. So it was kind of a last minute thing. But I love this so much because not only did Zach, who is an American designer, design it, but the dress itself was an homage to Charles James, who was born English, but is kind of known as an American designer because he worked here for a significant um, portion of his career. So Zach is just a master architect in the tradition of Charles James. So it's only fitting that he was paying homage to him. And what I absolutely loved, I mean, this dress is a amazing example of the art of dressmaking. Mm -hmm. Zach is a master of working on the female form and he sculpted this dress on her body. It accentuates her curves. It's incredible. And I'm so grateful to him because he provided all these behind the scenes images of this dress in process. So you get to see him working start to finish on creating this gown in apparently two weeks. So she really looked like something that stepped out of a John Singer Sargent painting. There was a lot of like 1880s references and the bodice Mm -hmm. and the way the bodice was comprised. So American in many different ways. Yeah. And also, I'm going to say this once again, I really think that we should ask Zach to come on the show and chat with us a little bit about how he uses fashion history references in his work. Because to me, um, in terms of like working American designers, I see them all the time. And he obviously takes such great delight in doing so. Yeah, he's a true, true artisan. So one of my favorite pieces on the red carpet or white carpet, I can't remember, <laughs> was worn by theater producer Jordan Roth, who always brings it. I always. Mean, like, <laughs> at the last Met Gala, I think he came with like this beautiful Iris Van Herpen and he opened his cape and it, the interior of the Palais Garnier Opera Theater inside um, and just like the... Curtains were closed when his arms were down and then the theater opened when he he opened his arms. It was so incredible. We talked about it last time, but he wore this entirely handmade, quote, coat of many colors that he commissioned from textile artist and queer activist, Michael Sylvan Robinson. And Roth told Vogue, when I knew what the exhibition would be exploring, I immediately went to the idea of identity and how for me, identity is a construction just as a garment is a construction. So this coat is patchworked and collaged in all these beautiful ways. And it's meant to represent the myriad of identities that are constantly in flux. And he says, we are making and unmaking our identities in a sort of dance. So it's really this beautiful collage of all these embellished images that Robinson, the artist, calls a collage, a tapestry, a kaleidoscope of experience. Yes. Any of our listeners don't follow him, Jordan Roth, on Instagram, please do so. It will just bring you joy. He clearly 
takes such great care and has such fun with fashion. He's definitely one of those people who who knows that fashion should be fun and loves to change his identity, you know, frequently in terms of what he's wearing. Absolutely. Okay, we have to talk about Billie Eilish because— Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) For me, really, she kind of stole the show, of course, wearing American designer Oscar de la Renta, the American fashion brand, and a little bit of a departure, perhaps, than what we have seen her wearing years prior. Um, Very much evoking Marilyn Rowe, going for that va-va-voom kind of, like, pinup look with her blonde hair— I feel like she's kind of at this nexus point in terms of her fashion journey because previously her style was very, very covered up and intentionally so. And she talked about it quite frequently in the press. And now um, she had, of course, done a photo shoot with Vogue recently where she's wearing a corset and thigh highs and everything. And she kind of got a lot of flack for it, but she's addressed this head on. I, I think it's quite interesting. She says, quote, Suddenly, you're a hypocrite if you want to show your skin, and you're easy, and you're a slut, and you're a whore. If I am, then I'm proud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's talked about it, too, how she was, like, ashamed of her body. She was just a kid when she came into the limelight. She was 16 years old, and she wasn't yet comfortable with her body. Now she's 18, and she's embracing her sexuality, and she talked about that at the Met Gala. This is, like, her next... You know, it's the progression, like you said, of her journey, but also her relationship with her sexuality and her body. So, Yeah, absolutely. And she says, let's turn it around and be empowered in that showing your body and showing your skin or not should not take any respect away from you. So... Yeah, and I don't know if you know this, April, but she is actually maybe the first Met Gala guest in history. This is from an article. Now I didn't quote the article, so I apologize. I'm not sure which source I got this from. But... Mrs. Eilish is also perhaps the only Met Gala guest in history to elicit an ethical policy change from a company as a condition of wearing its gown to fashion's version of the Super Bowl. So she basically told Oscar de la Renta she would not wear their gown unless they stopped selling fur, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. So they did. Yep. And she's vegan. So yeah. And that just speaks to the power of celebrity. You have a you have power to elicit change, and she used her platform to do it in a really, really wonderful way. So yeah, or just the or just the power of fashion. Period. Maybe like remove the celebrity aspect, but just fashion. Period. So fashion is cultural currency. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I also want to talk about Quana chasing horse because, as far as I know, she's the only Indigenous model who was on the red carpet. Hmm. So she did, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in this podcast, but Peter Dundas got a lot of, I think he's Norwegian, but he operates in America as his home base. So he is an American designer. He was all over the red carpet. Mary J. Blige, um, Megan Fox wore Peter Dundas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did Quana Chasing Horse that was wearing this gold metallic number. But it wasn't the dress so much. Um, well, the dress, I guess, provided the canvas for what was beautiful accessories celebrating her indigenous roots, specifically her ties to the Navajo or Diné people. She wore this incredible display of Navajo turquoise and silver jewelry. It was graced all her neck, her inner ears, on her wrists. And it was on loan from her aunt, a former Miss Navajo Nation who actually flew out to deliver this jewelry to her niece to wear on the red carpet. And Kwana is from the Han, Gwich'in, and Lakota tribes, but was apparently raised for a time on the Navajo Nation. So... Yes. She was a 
a beautiful, beautiful image. Yes. And also, too, I just want to point out that um, when you see her pictures that you might think that that is all makeup. But actually, she has quite a few face tattoos that are part of Native Alaskan beauty practices. Um, And we're seeing a lot of these being revitalized now by Alaskan Native women who are looking to reconnect um, with some of the traditions of their ancestors by practicing the tattooing that you see on her face. And a lot of these are basically markers of certain achievements or milestones within your own life, um, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and very beautiful. She's incredible in so many ways in terms of bringing visibility to um, Indigenous people through modeling. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Anything else, April, anything on theme before we start going into, oh, actually, uh, there was a lot of people on theme who did it more, you know, creatively beyond just wearing an American designer. We talked about metaphors earlier, and I thought there was a couple of people who got really creative with the theme in really wonderful ways. Yes. I'm a big fan of Christian Suriano. I think that he's very thoughtful. He's definitely a designer who gives a crap um, yeah. and, and is very thoughtful in his choices. And he actually dressed uh, Lily Reinhardt of Riverdale fame. And I just want to say, I got into Riverdale during quarantine and just kind of basically binged all of it. But yeah, um, it's pretty good. <laughs> It's very fun. Her dress was really cute. It was kind of like a a corset-esque type bodice and a very, very short skirt. And it had, it was pink and it had flowers um, and a train and it had flowers all over it. But the flowers weren't just any flowers. They're flowers that were actually uh, the state flowers of all 50 states, which I thought was very lovely. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if you know this, April, but uh, Siriano is the only designer in the Met exhibit to have not one, but three models dressed in his designs. And this is because it was under um, the plaque appreciation. And the show pieces basically, quote, transcend body and gender stereotypes and exemplify Siriano's democratic fashion and beauty philosophy. So they're in different, I think there's like a plus size model and there's even a male model wearing a dress. Christian said, there's no correct size, shape, color, or age. As a creator of fashion, I celebrate the body that wears my work. So he's an incredible designer in many, many ways. Yeah, and he was actually one of the first American designers really pushing this narrative forward before it became so-called trendy. So um, he was he he's been there since the start. So I don't know, April, if you noticed what Jeremy Pope, the singer and actor, was wearing that all white ensemble. I didn't. I think this is a design that I missed, actually. Yeah. So it, he looked absolutely incredible. He was wearing this off-the-shoulder suit by Dion Lee, and it's paired with what appears to be this flowing white floor-sweeping cape. And upon researching it more, we later learned, um, or I later learned, that this was actually meant to resemble a long cotton sack that was used by the enslaved to pick cotton. Oh. Um, this sack was by the designer James Flemons, his label Flemons, P-H-L-E-M-U-N-S, uh, who says, quote, in America, a lexicon of fashion was the Met Gala theme. Every year, the fashion oracles scream, Follow the assignment. Our deliberate approach encompassed delivering an impactful interpretation of said assignment. And in our collaboration, quote, cotton, the fabric of our lives, end quote, came forward. Cotton is entrenched in the pain of slavery and commodity of Black bodies. What better platform than the beauty of a male body draped in cotton to bridge the narrative from pain to glory? And there's actually a beautiful performance art piece that accompanied this. Uh, You can check it out on their Instagram page if you want to learn more. Yeah, 
And also, too, just in terms of that sort of narrative about cotton, um, I think another person that touched on this not wearing an American designer was Lupita Nyong'o. She was wearing a denim Versace dress. And as our past dressed guest, Jonathan Michael Square, so like amazingly pointed out that like, yes, Versace is an Italian brand, but denim and cotton and that legacy that pulls through to like the history of cotton in America was very on point. Yeah, so a commentary on what is American fashion. And she actually, her hair was this beautiful sculpture. It had been bolded into this wonderful sculpture. And that was actually inspired by an American artist, Brooklyn-based artist, Lorna Simpson, whose artwork similarly emphasizes the sculptorial, multi-dimensional qualities of Black hair as a metaphor for Black womanhood. So again, a really creative take um, on this theme that comes with a very a message, an important message. And I, I loved her hair so much when I was, because I was watching it, because um, Risa and I were playing bingo live via Instagram. <laughs> um, but I was watching the red carpet live and I loved her hair. And I didn't immediately get the Lorna Simpson connection until the next day when someone pointed it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, hair is like a consistent theme in a lot of her work, which is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Speaking of references, should we play fashion history references at the Met Gala 2021? <laughs> what do you got? Yeah, there was actually a lot. That's my that's the most fun that I have playing on there. I like to point out um influences, literally or not. Gemma Chan showed up in Prabal Gurung, who had a lot of representation on the red carpet, I will say, as an American designer. His dress is also the first featured in the exhibition from one of his most recent collections when the model's wearing Who Gets to Be American mm-hmm. and a sash emblazoned across her chest. So Which I was really in the glad- exhibition, just pointing Yeah, out. it's yeah. like one of the first things you see, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's a commentary on who gets to be American, but also who gets to be American fashion. <laughs> and she showed up wearing a dress inspired by Anna Mae Wong, which was a really cool reference. Yes. Another very cool reference, I think, was Kaya Gerber and Oscar de la Renta. And she, she, her stylist, her, I was mind blown when I kind of realized the backstory they actually went back and looked at past celebrities, what they wore to Met Balls in the past. And Kaya Gerber's dress was basically kind of like a reproduction of dress that Bianca Jagger wore to the Met Ball in 1981. It was by Oscar de la Renta at that time. And then they came back and remade another version of it for Kaya, which is very cool. So this is actually really interesting because it's not an Oscar de la Renta dress. It's Oscar de la Renta. The designers for Oscar de la Renta today were paying homage to what they thought was a Halston dress worn by Bianca. And they were all talking about how it was a Halston dress in in the press. Uh, Kaya Gerber even says, you know, it's a dress, you know, it's paying homage to Halston. And then my friend Sherry at Shrimpton Couture, who is vintage collector, vintage seller extraordinaire, says... Excuse me, it's actually not a Halston dress. It's a Dior dress. And I know this because it's in my personal arc. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're all wrong, except for Sherry. <laughs> yeah, and so she was on her stories, you know, talking about it. And she even had a picture of Bianca at the Dior fashion show wearing it. So she actually wore that dress multiple times. And I think the misconception comes from the fact that when she attended the Met Gala, I think in... 81, she was wearing that dress 
And she was with Halston, but it was not a Halston dress. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, so, Oscar de la Renta now. Yeah. <laughs> Based on a Dior gown. Based on a Dior gown. <laughs> not Oscar de la Renta and Halston. Okay. We've sorted that out now. <laughs> I also loved Ciara's Peter Dundas gown, which was that lime green floor-length sequin jersey dress, which was just a standout. She had her husband's, it's modeled off her husband, Russell Wilson's NFL jersey. And also, as we, it was an homage to Geoffrey Bean's sequin jersey dresses from 1967, 68, which was fabulous. And apparently, I mean, these sequin jersey dresses that uh, Bean did in the 1960s are so iconic. They just keep coming back again and again and again as references because actually Tom Ford several years ago did his own takes on these bean dresses as well. So this is almost like a a third iteration of them within American fashion. Yeah, they're super, super fun. So anything else, April, before we talk about what we didn't like? Um, I think that's all in terms of fashion history references that I have. Yeah. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. So we're moving on to our next section called American Fashion, but make it European. Oh, no. (laughs) This is the part where everyone fails. I mean, not to say that people didn't look great 
because many yeah. of them did. They looked amazing. But like, how can you miss the point of wearing an American designer when that is the only theme of the show? Like, yeah. I, I get it when people struggled with camp because that can be difficult, right? Even just to define what camp is, 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 is a challenging thing verbally, let alone like embodying it corporally, physically in terms of like your outfit. But American fashion, just wear an American designer. Super easy. I can't <laughs> tell you how disappointed I was to see how many celebrities blatantly ignored the theme and tended to celebrate American fashion. It was kind of like an like an F you in no one's yeah. certain terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's certain celebrities that hit it out of the park, as we've just discussed. Others just blatantly disregarded any celebration of American fashion talent. They ignored the theme completely and opted for familiar European designers. Versace was all over the red carpet. She was also there, Donatella. Uh, Balenciaga, all over the red carpet. Dior, there was not so much, but there were a couple pieces. Chanel, there were a couple pieces. I mean, it was really comical how many times the Vogue host, Kiki Palmer, who was doing the live coverage. She did a really good job, by the way. I she did. She was, she was fabulous. So <laughs> That's a hard thing to do, to just like, yeah. be on spot like that. Just like talking, 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 yeah. talking, talking live. For like four hours. I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. She kept asking people, they'd come into her orbit, into her, you know, into the camera. And she'd say, how does your ensemble reflect American fashion? And literally, there's just celebrities just drawing a complete blank because it's a European designer. Yeah. And and so, like, when I kept seeing this happening, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, whose fault is this? Like, who did not think this through? I mean, obviously, a lot of people worked with stylists, right? So, was it the stylist that didn't think about this? Was it that the, 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 that the person attending the ball didn't think about it? Or was it all the above just didn't care? Like, like who dropped the ball here? Just saying. Yeah, I mean, I feel like capitalism definitely trumped a lot of it here. I think design, I think celebrities get paid to wear certain designs. You know, there's like contracts here. Obviously people like Kristen Stewart has a contract with Chanel. She showed up wearing Chanel. Right, right, right. I mean, that makes sense if you're a brand ambassador for that brand, then you wear that brand. But I don't think that that was the case in most cases. But then like Kristen's Chanel, like how about you design a custom outfit that pays homage to American fashion? So you're saying we, I see you, we celebrate you, but they didn't. It was just like, you know, here's our latest haute couture piece. Some outfits like Little Nas X always brings it so fun, so fabulous. He had a three (laughs) outfit change, which was a la Lady Gaga who came to camp two years ago and did three outfit changes. He did that, but it was in Versace and it was completely like, I was just like, this has, I don't understand. Right. How is this American fashion? <laughs> there were many times that evening where I was just sitting here and be like, I don't understand. Why is this happening? Um, oh, oh, and especially what I really don't understand, can we just talk about Kim K? <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? I mean, dress listeners, if you have not, if you're not aware of what Kim Kardashian wore, she came dressed in Balenciaga covered head to toe. So she's basically a shadow. Her entire face is covered. Her hair is hanging out the back and she's in this form-fitting black, you know, ensemble that covers her head to toe. So you don't see her face. It's quite a statement piece. Don't get me wrong. We're never going to not remember this. But again, it's Balenciaga. What does it have to do with American fashion? So one of the biggest celebrities in the entire world wore Balenciaga 
and just completely disregarded her home country's anything. Well, and and I do think though, like and on one hand, well, okay, there's some pretty funny memes that have been going around about this. Um, one of my favorite ones was <laughs> it was a picture of her in the ensemble, and then right next to it, a picture of a scene featuring the Dementors and Harry Potter, and it's basically the exact same outfit, um, which is quite. <laughs> quite clever. And I got a giggle out of that. But I mean, I think ultimately the bigger point was it was a statement on celebrity, right? Or being on the red carpet and looking and being looked at. But this was not the right occasion for this kind of like art activism part of fashion. But has she said it's art activism? Because that just doesn't sound like something she would. Oh, no, that's my take. Okay, (laughs) because it is a good take, like one of the most famous people in the world and you don't see her face. Yeah. Um, But I think she was just, you know, I don't know. And her sister Kendall wore Givenchy. Their mother, however, wore Tom Ford. So the only Kardashian wearing American designers. Can we talk about Rihanna? Because Rihanna is always on theme. Yeah. She basically showed up as the Pope to Heavenly Bodies. So what the H, Rihanna? She showed up in Balenciaga. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. It felt very forced to me. Like maybe she ran out of time or a pickle or she just didn't, she didn't want to do all the like hours and hours and hours of fittings. Maybe her schedule didn't allow for it. But I will say this, apparently the the entire gala ran late because they showed up so late and they were all waiting for Rihanna to arrive on the red carpet because they wanted those photos. And then, well, frankly, it disappointed. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, there's so much Iris Van Herpen. Again, an amazing designer, but not on theme. There was Prada, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, you know, all the heavy hitter Vogue advertisers maybe, but not a lot of, you know, and there was a lot of American fashion because there was a lot of Tom Brown. Mm-hmm. J-Lo came, perhaps the most famous celebrity to actually wear an American designer. She wore Ralph Lauren. Was it a great dress? Maybe not, but it was an American designer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think that maybe, uh, you know, this is exactly the reason why earlier this week that we did this episode, um, which you wrote about the rise of the American designer in history, right? And there still exists this tension, I I suppose, between, quote-unquote, the perception of European designers being more elite than American designers. I don't know. But um, Andrew Bolton gave us a little bit of a food for thought on this topic. In a recent interview with Wallpaper.com, he said, quote, American fashion has traditionally been described through the language of sportswear and ready-to-wear emphasizing principles of simplicity, practicality, functionality, and egalitarianism, generally denied the emotional rhetoric applied to European fashion. American fashion has evolved a vernacular that tends to sit in direct opposition to that of haute couture. So I I don't know. Is is this the reason why this kind of schism happened? uh, People attending just didn't feel like the American designers were glamorous enough. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, despite all the strides made in American fashion, 
To this day, haute couture remains this bastion of high fashion, a point that's further underscored by the fact that to be a part of the quote-unquote elite haute couture, this is an exclusive club. Not anyone can just be an haute couturier. Very few fashion houses have this designation, and it obviously adds this level of covetability that's existed since the 19th century. I mean, Americans have bought haute couture and bought into the idea of haute couture for well over like a century and a half. And that being said, Andrew also said in that interview that, quote, part one of In America addresses this linguistic imbalance that you just uh, referenced, ready to wear versus haute couture, by presenting a revised vocabulary of American fashion based on its expressive qualities. So the exhibit is meant to prove America's wealth of talent that places it on par with its European counterparts. So why didn't this translate to the red carpet? Uh, yeah, right. So case in point here, Kirby Jean-Raymond of Pierre Moss, who uh, inarguably was in the fashion community, everyone recognizes as one of the most exciting and important designers, American designers working today. Well, Kirby made history this past summer when he was invited by the Fédération de la Haute Couture to present for a Paris haute couture season. And this made him the first Black American fashion designer to earn this honor. And his fall 2021 couture collection was this really kind of playful homage to Black American inventors and inventions. And yet Kirby was the only person on the Met Gala red carpet wearing his brand. I couldn't you know? believe it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there, there were a lot of Black fashion designers featured uh, walking the red carpet. Christopher John Rogers, Kenneth Nicholson, Theophilio, Jason Rember of Aliette, for instance. And these latter three were there at the invitation of the race car driver and Met Gala stalwart. He's always at the Met Gala, Lewis Hamilton, who invited them to sit at his table at this event with this express purpose of highlighting Black American fashion design talents. And, you know, let's just see more of this, please. Bring in these hot young designers who are hungry because we really need it. I think this is going to be a really interesting moment of reinvention for American fashion, you know, moving forward into this next decade or so. Yeah. And if we're going to have conversations about what is American fashion, we have to move beyond these household names, basically, of white American designers and celebrate the true diversity of the designers that make up what is American fashion. And Lewis Hamilton, you know, you said he invited them, but he bought a table, which is $37,000 a person ticket. So he basically spent something like 200 grand just to create the table, basically, that he wanted these designers to sit at. And he brought them there. And I mm -hmm. really wish we'd seen more people doing that. It was such an amazing moment because these are also were not the designers. There were American designers on the red carpet, but that's not what the coverage, like Vogue coverage focused on. It was like on the celebrities. And who are those celebrities wearing? Well, overwhelmingly, they weren't wearing American designers. I know Aliette, for instance, was worn by at least two attendees, but the talent of these up-and-coming designers were really trumped in media coverage by European counterparts, but also more well-known American designers. So... Even that, though, Michael Kors was there, Ralph Lauren was there, Jeremy Scott and Moschino was there, but their own representation still paired in comparison and coverage to the European designers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, this is all the more interesting when you also consider that over 70% of the objects on view in the exhibit in part one are by these emerging American design talents. Um, and this is the most emerging design talent ever, in a Costume Institute show for the first time. 
And it's it's just kind of disappointing that we didn't see these people that are featured in the exhibition represented on the red carpet. And also missing from the red carpet was indigenous representation. This fact is also mirrored in the exhibition itself, which to Cass and I's knowledge features only one indigenous designer, Karina Emmerich, past dressed guest. Um, and, and I think this is, I think she might be the only indigenous designer out of the 100 designers featured in part one of this exhibit. Yeah, in an exhibit dedicated to American fashion. This is problematic. You know, we were so thrilled when we learned she was in the exhibit. But how how amazing would it have been, April, to see one of her creations on the red carpet? She would have killed it. Or Karina herself on the red carpet, you know? Let's move beyond this capital grip on the fashion institution and celebrate true talent and artistry. I mean, Karina's her brand's Emmy, New York. She Her dress was just on the cover of InStyle magazine. So there's all these designers doing all these wonderful things. And it just begs the question, what is American fashion? Can we talk about American fashion without indigenous fashion? And I say the answer is and should always be no. And especially because Christian Allaire, who's now been on the show twice, he's been doing such amazing things at Vogue, bringing visibility to the breadth of Indigenous talent and artistry from across this country. He's done such incredible things. He just covered Santa Fe Indian Market, for instance, that has its annual fashion show highlighting Indigenous fashion talent. So where were the likes of like Jamie Akuma, Orlando Dugai, Pamela Baker, Lauren Gooday, who all showed at Indigenous Fashion Week? It just would have been so cool to have seen them represented in an exhibit that talks about what American fashion is. Yes. And and not to mention the fact that so many Indigenous design aesthetics have really been pilfered for centuries by American designers. You know, they are foundational to what we define as the all-American cowboy aesthetic, for instance, very much synonymous with designers like Ralph Lauren. You know, the use of the squash blossom necklace, other kinds of turquoise jewelry and fringe— All of these things are lifted from Indigenous peoples. And the Diné fashion designer at Geronimo Louis, that's their Instagram handle, um, did a fantastic Instagram video speaking to these specific influences in American fashion, if you want to learn more. Yeah, and Quana Chasing Horse, who we talked about early as being the only Indigenous representation on the red carpet. She Christian did a fabulous article on her for Vogue covering her Met Gala experience. And she said, it's extremely important to represent and bring authentic and true American culture to this year's theme. As Native American culture has been appropriated and misrepresented in fashion so many times. And she goes on to say that reclaiming our culture is key and we need to show the world that we are all still here and that the land that everyone occupies stolen Native land. And that being said, Kwana said her Met Gala experience left her feeling empowered, quote, in a space where I wouldn't have been welcomed if it was a decade ago. I really wanted to be able to get some visibility and show the world that we are still here. Yes. So where do we go from here? Well, Jamie Akuma, Christian Allaire, and Karina Emmerich are actually going to be in conversation very soon in a virtual talk at the Heard Museum. The talk is entitled Indigenous Fashions Toward a More Equitable Future, and this is going to take place on September 22nd. We highly suggest everyone register so that we can continue this conversation, especially there since there's going to be a part two of this exhibition in America, an anthology of fashion. And that is going to open in the American Wing period rooms in May of 2022. So what this means is that attendees 
might possibly have a second opportunity to correct these errors that we saw on the red carpet in terms of not wearing American designers. We shall see. (laughs) Yeah, we shall see. Well, that does it for us today, Dress listeners. Remember, we love hearing from you. So please email us at dressed at iheartmedia.com and also direct message us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast where you'll find images accompanying each week's episode. And you can follow along at Facebook at Dress Podcast without the underscore. And if you have a moment and want to take the time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we always appreciate your support. As always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes this show possible each and every week. More Dressed coming your way soon. Dressed, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.